This talk was recorded by Insight Meditation South Bay in Mountain View, California. The speaker is Shyla Catherine. For more talks and information, visit www.imsb.org. Tonight I'd like to speak about intention and kama. In Sanskrit, the term is karma in Pali Kama. And the real question is, how do things come to be the way that they are? That's the issue of kama. Now, kama is something, or karma actually, is the word that's found its way into our culture. It's often used, eh, tossed about, but maybe not so precisely. The texts define kama as action under the influence of intention. And one of my teachers, Joseph Goldstein, described kama as a strongly conditioned energy pattern in the mind. Basically, we reinforce certain ways of being by how we think and how we act. And these patterns condition what we will experience in the future. We can speculate a lot about our own conditioning, about our kama. But the key to relating to kama is not in the past, it's in the present. In meditation, we're not just practicing so that we can feel every breath, so that we can be mindful of sensations or sounds or thought. But we're also looking at how it is we relate to the experience of the senses, how much of our present response is a carryover of habitual patterns from the past. Do we notice what brings us into action? Do we notice the impulses, the intentions that guide our actions of body, our actions of speech, and our actions of mind? Do we consider what is a truly free and spontaneous action? Spontaneity sometimes is, I think, misunderstood as a kind of brash or impulsive action. But really, spontaneity, I think, is an action that is free from conditioned habits, an action that might come out of the maturing of great discipline not impulse. Impulse very often is conditioned. The, in, the link between our action and our intentions is a very important thing to begin to discern in our meditation practice, to be mindful of our intentions as well as our actions, to be mindful of the relationship of mind and body, to see how the patterns form through repeated actions and through repeated intentions. What intentions do you tend to act on? The movement of desire and aversion usually gives us some clues to explore this dynamic between intention and action. Because when either are present, either desire or aversion, you can be pretty sure that the action is reactive, not free, not mindful. And so when we meditate, we look at the mind. What do you find in the mind? 
What kinds of thoughts do you find? Do you let your minds dwell on stories of the past, repeating patterns, repeating scenarios, telling yourself what happened yesterday, what happened the day before, what happened the month before, retelling yourself events over and over again until finally the story comes out the way you want it? To what extent are you involved in this kind of fantasy life, imagining a future or trying to recreate your past? In meditation, we see the tendencies of our minds and how those tendencies might get stuck in memories of the past and stagnate there or project towards a fantasy of the future. So we're not investigating so much the content of the mind, but we're looking at the patterns and the dynamics and the tendencies of mind. The process of dwelling in thought thought worlds is more important to the mindfulness meditator than the particular thought worlds we choose to construct. The tendency to retreat into this private world of thoughts, this imagined world of projection, of fantasy, and of planning can be a distorted strategy to try and find ourselves. Instead of discovering ourselves, in a vivid connection with what's actually occurring moment by moment, in a mindful and present relationship to whatever is right in front of us, with us right now. We are not trapped by the past, no matter how difficult, no matter how painful your past was. You're not trapped by the past, and you're not trapped by your own mind. Whatever patterns we created can be adjusted, can be affected, can change. We respond to life in the present, and that's why we can be empowered to affect our patterns, because we change our patterns by how we respond to things right now. Our karmic tendencies will shift with the intentions that we act upon. And no one condemns us to any mind state, not now, not in the past, and not in the future. But sometimes we do this for ourselves by repeating our actions over and over again. We keep creating the same conditions. We keep creating the conditions for the same patterns, we keep reinforcing those same events. But when we reflect upon the law of karma, when we reflect upon how our intentions lead to our actions, we might find this reflection leads to a sense of empowerment. Because every day millions of intentions are arising and we do have some choice as to which ones, out of all those different intentions, which ones do we choose to act on? Now, to expand the possibility of our choice, we must give ourselves the chance to pause before reacting. 
even a pause for just a split second can allow us to be aware of what's going on in the mind, what's going on in the feelings, what's going on in the emotions and the body. Just pausing, waiting a moment can be so helpful to establish mindfulness. There's a story of a man who was afraid of his shadow and quite terrified by his footsteps because they both kept following him everywhere he went. He tried running away from them, and he got so terrified and panicked that he just kept running and running and running, and yet his shadow and his footsteps just kept following him. He finally ran so much he was exhausted, and he just collapsed in the shade of a tree. And finally, sitting and resting, he realized there was no shadow and there were no more footsteps. In meditation, we literally sit down in the shade of our tree, the shade of our own attention. And we find that we don't need to be disturbed or frightened by the natural consequences of our actions. We sit still. And sometimes we just accept whatever arises and know that it is arising. It is arising as the effects of previous conditions. But this acceptance that these conditions are arising is not complacency because the important thing is how are we responding to it right now. If we're accepting it with a mindset that says, this is the way I am and this is how I will always be, then we're going to be reinforcing those patterns. But if we accept that these are the conditions that are arising because they are conditioned by previous events, then we can reflect on that and see that there's the possibility to respond differently to interrupt the flow of those patterns, of those tendencies. Because our experiences are influenced by many things, not only our past action. Many things affect our experiences, and most of them are beyond anything that we have done or could control. The climate, the food, the actions of other people, accidents, injury, all kinds of things come together to, um, to affect our experience. But one of those factors is the conditioning that we have put in place through previous actions. And you probably can recognize this when you consider your own mental states and how the mind is conditioned by repetition. If you frequently experience irritation and anger every time you reach a red light, what are you conditioning? You're conditioning irritation. You're conditioning, conditioning impatience. And will it be very surprising if you're then impatient when the photocopy machine comes, runs out of paper or when the Internet momentarily um, goes weird and doesn't perform as quickly as, as we want it to? In what ways do we condition a response of impatience in our life and then make it more likely that that will uh, be the quick response in the future? But physical states are also conditioned by repetition. In a positive sense, if you go to the gym 
You're conditioning strength, right? But if you frequently round your backs every time you work at a computer, or even worse, these little um, telephone, your, your phones, you're looking at it, and people, even though they could easily sit up because they're not all that heavy, have you gone into like one of these coffee shops or something and seen everybody bent over their, um, their, their little phones, looking at the little prints, looking at it really carefully? What are we conditioning in our bodies? It's not going to be a surprise we, if we collapse every time we come to a computer and then we find that we're, our back is sore when we meditate or that we're conditioning a kind of collapse of our physical structure. We are influencing ourselves. We're constantly influencing ourselves by how we act and how we habitually react to the situations we encounter with the body and with the mind. For better or for worse, we're creating the conditions that we will inherit in the next moment. Mindfulness practice is not just about watching the breath or sitting even with an upright spine and feeling the breath. Sometimes uh, we emphasize a great deal of attention to the breath, and I probably do more than the average teacher. Um, because sometimes I think we get so distracted that if we can just find our breath, it's such a relief at the end of a day to just sit and feel the breathing. Nothing to worry about, nothing to do. Just sit and see if you can feel the breath, one breath at a time. I enjoy it. I love it. But really what we're doing is we're watching the mind We're mindful of not only what is happening in our experience, perhaps a sensation of breathing, but we're mindful of how we are relating to that sensation. With mindfulness established, we can allow a fresh response to come through, through this clarity of intention, so that we don't just keep reinforcing the groove of familiar habits. We can be present, we can be mindful, we can be awake, and we can be empowered in what we call the space between stimulus and response. What is the stimulus and response? You may notice in meditation that there's a sensation of pressure, perhaps. Maybe there's a a hardness, you know, maybe at the buttocks where you're sitting on the seat, And it's an unpleasant sensation. But how does the mind respond to it? Is there an increase in tension? Do you try to squirm and wiggle and make it go away? Does the mind start to get restless and wish you hadn't come out tonight to meditate? Is there strong aversion to the unpleasant sensation? And then does the mind then... um, build upon that aversion with stories of irritation and anger and annoyance? What kinds of thoughts get wrapped up around that thought, such as, I'll never be able to meditate, I can't even sit still, today's not a good day to meditate, I can't be aware at night, maybe I should try in the morning, maybe I should go try a different kind of meditation, maybe a meditation that's um, a moving meditation, maybe I should do Sufi dancing, or maybe I should do pranayama practice, or maybe I should do some other kinds of practice. 
Or is there an action, an action that gets you to move, to stand up, to get up? All these responses are in reaction to the unpleasant feeling. If we're unable to stay steady in the presence of unpleasant sensation, then we might keep reacting against that sensation, either pushing it away or judging ourselves for how we react to it, or in one way or another, increasing this aversive response until it builds into anger. But another response is to just feel it as pressure, to feel it as hardness, to feel that dull ache, that sense of contact, and to just know it as it is, mindfully, a changing sensation to know the sensations that are present, to feel the unpleasant quality of those sensations, but to not let the mind go through that familiar pattern of building up an aversive reaction to the unpleasant sensation. This is that moment where we have a choice. There's a stimulus, but how do we respond? Can we be with the sensation, even an unpleasant one, without responding with anger or aversion. We might need to respond with wisdom. Maybe it is time to shift to standing meditation. But it's very different to move out of wisdom and reflection than it is to move out of irritation and aversion. It may be the same movement physically, But comically, it's a world of difference. When we move out of reflection, when we move out of wisdom, we're reinforcing wisdom in our mind stream. We're reinforcing the pattern and the ability to pause, to be unagitated, and to make a conscious choice. The karmic consequences are determined not by the action that we take, but by the intention. If our intentions are colored by anger, aversion, greed, or delusion, then we are creating painful karma. If the intentions arise out of compassion, love, wisdom, kindness, generosity, then the consequences will likely be pleasant, skillful, helpful, beneficial. In everyday situations, we can bring mindfulness to this moment between stimulus and response and see what happens in the mind and in the body that lets us accomplish any kind of daily task. We move so much in our lives, even just moving from sitting to standing, Do you notice the intention to go from sitting to standing? You could take that as a little mindfulness of intention project just for the next week. Notice every time you move from sitting to standing and from standing to sitting. It's a huge movement. There's a lot to notice in it. So you can move consciously and you can be conscious that you're about to make that movement. There are an awful lot of times when we make even gross movements and we don't even know why. We don't even know how we got there. Have you ever found yourself looking in the refrigerator 
and then wondering if you're hungry? How did you get there? Did you move because you were hungry? Did you move because you were thirsty and the refrigerator was closer than the faucet or the, or the water kettle? Did you move because you were bored and you just needed a distraction? Or because it just happened to be that time of day and it's your habit that after you do such and such, you get to this point and you go to the, you know, what, what, what causes us to do the things that we do? Can we bring more awareness? to some of those movements and what our intention is behind the movement. This kind of mindfulness practice to intention doesn't require that we do it while we're sitting and meditating with our eyes closed. We can be aware of intention while we're busy, while we're active, while we're working, while we're interacting. No one is stopping us from seeing how the influences and tendencies from our own past are impinging on our responses to the present now. That's the essence of the place we're looking. And then once we see what, what's happening, what's creating the conditions for the present experience, then we can pause and choose how to respond. But mindfulness is most important, this mindfulness of intention, because it's through intention that the link is made between our thoughts and our actions. A balanced awareness is required, poised in that balance between a reaction and a response. Seeing the movements of the conditioned as merely a lawful pattern. Nothing more than that. Not fate and not a required response. When the conditioned patterns are not grasped, not attached to, not identified with, then a possibility opens where the unconditioned might be revealed. My teacher in India, Punjaji, often said that people were too fascinated with things to notice the great peace that was nearer than the near. We can use the clarity of seeing what is near, the conditioned, to glimpse beyond conditioning. Seeing causality, we might ask, what is uncaused? What is not affected by the dynamic of conditions, patterns, and habits. Is a great leap required to cross from the conditioned to the unconditioned? It may be enough to cultivate the capacity to simply pause, to pause with mindful awareness, And in that pause, we stop clinging. We cease the patterns of craving and attachment. We can see what happens in that moment when we truly and deeply pause and remain just as we are, alert and free from attachment. We don't create the experience of liberation. We don't fabricate the unconditioned out of the conditioned. Freedom is simply our experience when we're not bound by clinging, by craving, and by conditioning.
When we stop reacting to life through the habits of wanting more pleasant experience and getting away from the unpleasant experience, then the unconditioned is not another more spiritual or esoteric thing that we acquire. When we finally stop grasping between the passing of one thought and the arising of another, between the moment of being asleep and the moment of waking, the ultimate peace might be realized. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.